Welcome to another episode of the COVID-19 series of podcasts from Education Incorporated. A big thing on everybody's minds is school going back as we move down the lockdown levels. Gersh, is EduInc going back on the 1st of June? No, Gavin, EduInc is not going back to school on the 1st of June. The minister's announcement about schools going back is primarily focused at the majority of schools, which are government schools. And as we've alluded to in previous podcasts, EduInc is a private school. Um, and as the minister alluded to in her presentations as well, private schools have a lot of leeway in terms of making the decisions in the best interests of their students, specifically because we don't necessarily face the same challenges for delivering content and curriculum and assessing students that the vast majority of public schools do. So schooling at home continues, but schooling on campus is delayed. Jax, how long is it delayed for? When will we be going back on campus? Gavin, our first priority is safety for our kids, for our families, for our staff. So as things stand at the moment, we are still looking at going back to school in term three on campus, but that all depends on a multitude of variables that uh, come into play when we do start coming onto campus. Those variables are, they're very fluid at the moment. They change based on what's happening with the alert levels. They change based on what what information we are being given in terms of OHS requirements, PPE requirements, how we how many children we're allowed to bring onto campus. So for example, at alert level three, where we stand right now, you're allowed to bring 30% of your students back onto campus and 30% of your staff. So those are the plans that we are making for coming back in term three. But the plans are still fluid. We don't know where we're going to be in September of this year. So uh, they might change as we go forward. I think what's important to remember is that our view on what's happening for term two is 100% clear. We are going to be schooling from home. And if we do need on occasion to bring a group in for pracs or something like that, those arrangements we made well in advance and in line with safety, with the alert levels, etc. Term three at the moment is quite murky. There's a 25 to 30% clarity on what's going to happen. And the points that are very clear to us are that if we continue in the same line that we are moving at the moment and progression in the virus, that the matrix will be on campus to write their prelims in September and they will be on campus in October, November to write their finals. If we do need to bring the matrix in for practicals, um, we will be doing that as well. What is also very clear is that the OHS the occupational health and safety, as well as the personal protection equipment, is very, very important. And one of those elements is social distancing. And like a lot of other small private schools, we are not in a position where we can space our children at a meter and a half in each classroom. So that space is going to be influencing that decision as well. Another thing that is also very clear for us on a positive light is that our delivery of content curriculum, our teaching, having not missed a single day or hour of teaching to this point, as well as our assessment and the effectiveness validity is happening well. And there's no rush for us to be going back to school um, where we have to compromise possibly the safety of our teachers, um, our, our children and our families. And I think stepping back and allowing some of the clarity to be made clear through other people's actions and decisions is a good thing right now because it means being behind the curve on this sense allows us to make the decisions knowing what the outcomes are going to be. So we get to learn from others who are going before us. Absolutely, Gavin. Those decisions are, are really being made in the best interests of what is sustainable as we go forward as well. One of the, the requirements, the OHS requirements, for example, is that the children from top to toe must be in clean clothing every single day that they come onto the campus. And that includes things like heavy winter jackets, their jeans, etc., which is quite a burden on the parents to have to deal with that. 
So one of the differences that the parents and the kids are going to see in 2020 is that for the remainder of the year, we are not going to insist on a uniform policy. The children will be allowed to wear civvies it's purely to try and make sure that those children are wearing clean clothes every single day. And the same applies to the staff, obviously. The other big concern or the other big consideration that we are trying to figure out at the moment is the daily screening processes that have to take place. They are quite onerous. They have to be done daily. Onerous equals time consuming. So if we have 70 children coming onto campus and that screening process takes one minute per child, that's 70 minutes to get every child screened before they come through the door. So our planning is including how we can timetable arrival of kids, getting them into their classes. And all of those things are what is in flux at the moment. We're still in the planning phases and we will let parents know as we, we start finalizing those things. At a time when we're hearing rumors and stories of parents at other schools struggling to pay their fees, the reality is it's costing more to run a school right now. Gavin, that's a very pertinent question right now. And we've stated in previous podcasts that we've already changed um, our budget for the year to equip our teachers to be able to teach most effectively from home with additional monitors, headsets, upgraded fiber lines, whatever they've needed, um, digital pens to make sure that they are delivering the content um, and and that learning has been effective at the moment. There, the other element of it is that the unknown part of it, where we are looking at changing budget and having to deal with that on a big way, is the OHS and PPE requirements. And that we don't fully understand what the costs of those are right now. A lot of those requirements are still in flux. There's a lot of rumor and misinformation going on. So we're kind of holding back to see exactly what needs to be required so that we're not spending money needlessly. We've had offers of Perspex cubicles that people walk through and all sorts of things costing hundreds of thousands of rands. And I don't think that's necessary. We have to be cautious. And, you know, Eduink's um, value system has always been about not passing additional costs on to parents. And we're trying to make sure that we don't do that at this point as well. When it is time to go back on campus, it's likely that we're going to have a percentage of either the teachers or the children who aren't going to be joining us all the time, which means effectively you have to run two schools on the same budget. So continuing to pay the fees is vitally important right now. Are there any other services or products that parents can help with? We have a lot of parents who are in entrepreneurial spaces and own their own businesses. And I think that any parent who is in OHS or, PP or has PPE connections that can facilitate and help us with that process in terms of costs um, and availability, please drop us a line so that we can use that in consideration for the plans that we are making. I think that your observation on blended learning is very valid. And I think that we need to be prepared that it's going to go beyond just the third term of 2020. And it might be a reality with us for 2021. I think operations is normal by all indications in terms of travel and people's plans and all of that might only really kick in in 2022. So next year is going to be interesting as well. And I think that as President Ramaphosa said, this is going to be around for a while and we need to learn to live with the COVID virus. We can't avoid it. Um, and we need to understand what the best practice in the new normal looks like. We're very fortunate today to have joining us Dr. Taryn Gray, who's a pediatric pulmonologist at the Christian Barnard Memorial Hospital in Cape Town. 
The reason Taryn's joining us is that she presented at a Sahisa meeting last week where Jackson and Gersh were present. And there was something that Taryn said that resonated with him. Gersh, can you elaborate a little on that? One of the things that we're busy doing right now and is occupying a lot of our time is planning for what the third term looks like for this year. We've pretty much got the second term in the bag in terms of what we're planning on doing. And there are a lot of variables at the moment and a lot of uncertainty um, and a lot of fear amongst a lot of parents, amongst students, etc. And when Taryn was talking about COVID-19 and from a professional point of view, there were a lot of things that were starting to make sense. And one of the things that stood out the most for me is that this is very fluid. It's something that we have to be quite flexible about. And we need to have a mindset that allows us to actually adapt as we're going along. We might be going into level three right now, but later on this year, we might very well be sitting in a situation where we're back at level four or five again. And what does that look like? And obviously, one of our biggest concerns, our main concern is the safety of our family, as it were, which is our students, our parents, and our teachers. Um, and there were a lot of points that Taryn made, which I think were very pertinent and helpful. And I just want to, on this platform, to be able to share that with our parents and hopefully alleviate some of that fear and uncertainty. And Jax has got a, a few things that were on her mind that she thought was very useful as well. So Taryn, what is your biggest thing right now in terms of putting people's fear at ease type of thing? I'm sure you're getting a lot of questions from parents about their kids and, and I'm sure you're picking up a lot of that sense. And being a parent yourself, you might even have some of those fears that you're having to put to rest. Gosh, it's a difficult situation. We find ourselves in both as healthcare professionals, as parents, as teachers, as policymakers. It's a situation none of us have been in before. And we're fortunate in some sense in that we're lagging behind the rest of the world. So we have got some data and some guidelines to go on from other countries' experience. Uh, we can learn from mistakes and we can take away positive messages from them as well. As you alluded to, it's a very fluid situation. Looking at our period of preparation we've had in the hospital, it's been quite frustrating that you think you're doing something correctly one day and the next day everything changes again as you come to understand the beast that we're working with. So I think people really have to have an, an open mind and be prepared for change and be prepared to be flexible. And what you decide as a school is in the best interest of safety of the children and the staff may have to change along the way, depending on the numbers of cases we're seeing and how the pandemic unfolds in South Africa. At the moment in the Western Cape, it seems to be unleashing quickly here. We're, we're way ahead of the country in terms of numbers, but it is likely it will follow to other parts of the country, particularly the metropoles. And so timelines are difficult to predict, but it may be, it may well be that things only really hit you guys in August, September up in Gauteng. A new word that we seem to be hearing a lot of that maybe not everybody understands the meaning of is this comorbidities, particularly in a school environment. What, what does that mean and what should we be doing with that? So comorbidities are basically underlying medical conditions that you're living with. Uh, the most common comorbidities in our society are in adults are probably hypertension or high blood pressure, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, asthma. People may have a range of immunological comorbidities like HIV, have underlying cancer, for which they're receiving immunosuppressive therapy. So com comorbidities are essentially the, the diseases we're living with. And they're a threat when they're treated or untreated, or does it not make a difference? Okay, so the, the biggest comorbidities from what we understand at the moment are diabetes, obesity, uncontrolled asthma, hypertension or high blood pressure, and advanced age. Um, and a lot of those pertain more to adult patients, but we are seeing more severe disease in children with severe uncontrolled asthma, with immune compromise, 
severe untreated cardiac problems and with obesity. Sorry, Taryn, what is uncontrolled asthma? What does that mean? So as a pulmonologist, I treat a range of children with asthma. Some children have got very mild asthma just with exercise-induced symptoms when they play sports. And on the other end of the spectrum, I've got children with asthma that land up in ICU every winter on a ventilator. Um, We are certainly more concerned about the severe end of the spectrum, children that have had previous ICU admissions for their asthma, children that are requiring multiple medications to control their asthma, children who have had any life-threatening asthma, children who have your general day-to-day asthma that are compliant with their medication, taking their pumps and are controlling well on their pumps, we're not considering high risk at this stage. So, Taryn, as a school, what do you recommend that we do? Uh, obviously, we are sorting out all our PPE and the cleaning of the school and our screening processes. Those are all being handled. But what can parents do to really help their kids be healthy and strong for coming back to school? One of the few things that we are strongly recommending is that uh, where possible, children be vaccinated for influenza. The influenza season hasn't fully unraveled yet in South Africa. The cases start to pick up in about June, July. Because everyone's been at home, we're not seeing many cases yet. We have seen a couple. Looking at the Northern Hemisphere, the influenza season has particularly affected children in this past winter season. And there have been a significant number of paediatric deaths related to influenza. In fact, many more paediatric deaths related to influenza than to coronavirus. We do strongly recommend the influenza vaccine, particularly if you have other conditions like asthma or lung, lung diseases or heart diseases. Uh, it, is, it has been in short supply. I'm not sure what the current status is, but if you can get your hands on a flu vaccine, I would recommend taking it. That's really important. Thank you. When it comes to the crunch and without putting your neck on the chopping block here, what are we actually in for in terms of timeframes, in your opinion? I think you'd have to ask that question to the epidemiologist. Looking at the world around us, it seems that that once countries have hit their real peak, it seems to have taken about eight weeks to really surge and and start subsiding. I think there's a lot of things that interplay in South Africa that we we don't know how it's going to affect the progress of things. But we've had our hard lockdown early and the idea of that has been to delay the peak. So we may have a much slower, longer surge of this. I think we're all apprehensive about what lies before us. We want to get it over with, but I don't know if it's going to be over quickly. And it is likely that the virus will be around for several years before we actually have a reliable vaccine available in South Africa. So as Mr. Ramaphosa has alluded to, it's something we're going to have to learn to live with. I'm sure there will be a big initial surge at some stage. um, And I think we're all focused on trying to get through that at the moment. And the rest will take care of itself as we go along. As a school, how should we be approaching sick children? When they do come back, how should we really be approaching that? What's the safest and most cautious approach that we can take? So sick children need to remain at home, both for their own health and for the health of those around them. When you're sick, if you come to school when you're sick, apart from not giving yourself a chance to get better, your immune system is suppressed to some degree and you're not actually able to deal with additional infections you may pick up from the people around you. So it's really important to stay at home when you're sick, whether it's from influenza or coronavirus or any other virus that you're suffering from at that time. So sick children should remain at home until they're properly better. The parents in ICD guidelines on sick 
people with coronaviruses that they need to remain home for 14 days from the time that they tested for their illness. Um, not from the time they received the result because there's a big lag in results at the moment. So from the, the time that you are unwell enough to go for a test. And that comes with the proviso that you're completely well at that 14 days. If you've still got any lingering symptoms, you should obviously stay at home longer. So it really is a, a rather safe and sorry approach. Yes. And I think if anything, this pandemic is going to teach people to have a bit of respect for viral illnesses. We all know that we've gone to, to work and sent our children to school with fevers, with flu, with, with snotty noses, with coughs. And we should really be thinking about people around us and keeping our children at home when they're sick. Karen, you're also a mom. Um, I'm asking you to take off the doctor hat and put on the mom hat right now. Um, is there anything on your mind as a parent and any advice parent to parent that you might be able to give just to alleviate some of those fears that are most burning in, in parents' minds at the moment? Yeah, so, so I think as a parent, we're all trying to weigh up the risk and the benefit of sending our children to school. Some of us are more fortunate than others in that we've got access to online teaching, to internet, to books and other resources, to to people to help us care for our children while we have to work. Um, but there's many people out there that aren't in a position, and we really do need to get our children back to school in South Africa. School's often a safer place for children than home is. Um, as a parent, I'm, it's heartbreaking to see my children completely isolated from their peers and the teachers and everyone else that enriches their lives so much. And I'm glad I've got a safe place to keep them while this passes, but I do want them to get back to school. Um, fortunately, my children are healthy and they're young, and I know that they're at the low risk end of the spectrum. So I'm not fearful of sending my children back to school at this stage. In the same breath, I have patients and I have friends with children with severe underlying illnesses that, are, of course, are uh, much more cautious about sending their children. And I think if you're the parent of a child with a significant underlying disease or um, congenital problem that your child has been born with, that needs to be considered on an individual basis. And you need to take guidance from your pediatrician or your specialist pediatrician that's looking after your child in weighing up the, the risks and benefit of sending your particular child to school. At Edgewink, we're going to be closed for the whole of the second term, which means the children are going to be with their parents. Are there a couple of key points for parents to remember since the responsibility is resting primarily on their laps for the second term uh, for the children's health? I think as parents, we have to be grateful that COVID-19 is a disease that affects children mildly in the majority of cases. There are, of course, the exceptions, but that's the case for every viral illness your child might get. Um, so I think be reassured that hopefully most children will be absolutely fine in this. Most children may not even know that they've had coronavirus. And those that do generally have mild symptoms, uh, to look after yourselves in this and just to remember that we're not all teachers and parents and providers. It's tough time for all of us. Um, but I think, I, I think we'll all be grateful to get our kids back to school as safely as possible. Um, certainly, I'll be much more grateful for what the children, our teachers do in my children's lives. I mean, I think we must also remember to go easy on our teaching staff, our school governing bodies, our policy makers at a national and provincial level. It's, it's a minefield for all of us. We're trying to, to take educated, um, make educated assessments and uh, trying to weigh up the risks and benefits basically of 
sending our children to school versus keeping them at home and trying to do that as safely as possible. And when things change at short notice, as they are bound to do, sending our children to back to school, we need to be easy on the, the people that are guiding those decisions. That at the end of the day, they're trying to do what's best for your child. Taryn, thank you. I, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to talk to our, our edging family today. Um, it really, I think this is going to put a lot of minds at ease. So we are very grateful for the time that you've given us. Thank you. Also, there are some good webinars with um, Prof Mahdi, uh, which I don't know if you referred your parents to, um, but he is a, a pediatrician and a, a professor of pediatrics and vaccinology. Dr. Taryn Gray, thank you very much for joining us today. We appreciate your time and uh, stay safe and stay warm down in Cape Town. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you very much. Really appreciate it. Jack Skirsch, timetable. What's on the what's on the horizon for that? Gavin, the timetable for the the second half of this year, we have a great opportunity to try something new. And as I've mentioned in a previous podcast, one of the big focuses for us is going to be on exercise. I don't believe that sitting behind a computer for six or seven hours straight is is entirely healthy. And I think we underestimate how many steps we get in walking between classes and just doing our daily chores and walking around at school. And we did a survey with the students asking if they wanted longer breaks, starting later, ending later, etc. And I think the timetable reflects a little bit of something for everybody. And one of the things that is important and why this is um, the timetable change happens in the middle of the year is just to note that our semester subjects, which are geography, history, physics, life science for the grade fours to grade nines, requires us to change the timetable because some of those subjects have now been finished for the year and we're going to engage in the other subjects. So it's a it's a natural time for that change to happen. And what we've done is we'll see that the grade fours to sixes might end early on a couple of days at, at one o'clock, quarter past one. I've extended the second break to half an hour because the feedback from the parents and the students is that when they're at school and it's lunchtime, it's easy to open a, a lunch tin of pre-made food and, and, and scoff it down very quickly. But when they're at home, they need to get up and go to the kitchen and make their food, which is a great life skill as well. So they need a little bit more time for that. And extending the day by 15 minutes just allows for a little bit of luxury to be able to do that. And I think it's healthier to eat that food that you prepared yourself nice and fresh. On a Friday, we will be starting with assembly at 8 o'clock. And from half past 7 till 8 o'clock, everybody is going to be exercising, keeping log of that. On a, a, mon a Monday and a Wednesday, the grade 9s will be starting classes at 8.30 from 7.30 until 8.30 They've got an hour of PE where they can go and walk with their families or jog or run or do something like that and keep a log. And on a Tuesday and a Thursday, the grade fours to eights will have the same opportunity between 7.30 and 8.30 to go and exercise as a family, walk, get some cardio in. The grade tens to twelves, it's very difficult because their timetable doesn't really allow a lot of flexibility and movement, but they do all have three to four hours of free periods during the week. And they must use that time to exercise, to walk, and they can plan their schedule around that to walk as a family if they want to or go jogging or cycling in that in those free hours that they do have. I think that we're also focusing on taking out some of the, as we call the soft skill subjects, although they're very important. Um, Jack's used them for typing, touch typing and Udemy courses um, last term. Jax, how many hours did we end up putting in place with all the Udemy courses? And just talk a little bit about that, please. When we took out a couple of the softer subjects and replaced them with our touch typing and recorded reading and Udemy courses, it turned out to be a very successful endeavor because uh, in total now, I actually logged up all the hours 
that our children put in on online courses, uh, and it came to a total of 453 hours of online learning through an online institution, which is such a great life skill for the kids to have. This term, we're not going to continue with the Udemy courses because we want to keep using this opportunity to keep things fresh and exciting. So what we're looking at this term is some virtual robotics for grade four to nine, bringing the robotics into the virtual space. They don't need additional equipment for it. And I think it looks like a lot of fun for the kids to be getting involved with. I think something else that the, the grade 10s and 11s parents who do life science and physics are seeing is that Stanton has been dropping off kits to be able to do experiments from home. And one of the big challenges this term is being able to do assessment, formal assessment like exam type things with proper invigilation, making sure that it is valid and it's fair and that they're authentic. And that's something that we're going to have to partner with the parents on, specifically when it comes to that time um, in July. What's happening with assembly and are parents welcome to join? Parents are always welcome to join assembly. It doesn't matter if it's in the virtual space or when we're back on campus. And we do have some parents that use that opportunity to come and sit with us in our town hall type assembly and, and enjoy that. Parents are more than welcome to join. The, the link is available. It doesn't change. Um, and it would be great to see some parents coming and just seeing, you know, seeing their faces and let the kids see their faces as well. The assembly will be at 8 o'clock on Friday after the half an hour scheduled exercise for the entire school where they can go walking with their families, cycling or jogging. And after that, they will go into their next lesson. This timetable will start on the 1st of June. I'm just finalizing a couple of tweaks right now and it will be made available before the end of the week to the parents and the students and put in the resources section of our website. That's a lot of information for people to digest. Some things are certain. We're not going back to campus in term two. Some things are in flux. When do we go back? What does it look like? How's it going to work? It's clear that we're learning as we go along. We're talking to other schools. We're talking to professionals. We're taking guidance from experts in many categories. There's no quick fix here. This is not going to go away in a hurry. But EduInc is clearly focused on what's in the best interest of the children, their health, and their academics.